Hello and welcome to the Greatest Games Podcast brought to you by 816 Basketball. I'm one of your hosts, Brian Rosefield, and I'm joined by my co-host, Krista Blasio. Thank you, Brian. As always, a pleasure to be here on the Greatest Games Podcast, a chance for us to catch up with basketball coaches from around the country. Uh, we asked them to tell us about their greatest game. It could be their time as a high school coach, a college coach, a JV coach, CYO coach, coaching five random kids down at the park, just whatever they consider to be their greatest game. We have yet to have one of those games brought up. But you know what? You're right. Any, any greatest game will work here for the Greatest Games podcast, Chris. Well, I tell you what, you know, you know us. What we do is we make history, and this podcast has been a whole lot of fun. We've had high school coaches, college coaches, strength and conditioning coaches, former coaches. Today we have our first director of basketball operations at the college level joining us for the Greatest Games. He's at William & Mary. Nate Bollinger, welcome to the Greatest Games podcast. Thanks, guys. And Nate is uh, a native of what city, Brian? York, Pennsylvania. And the nickname of York, Pennsylvania is? We went through this before the show. <laughs> it's the, white, one of the, ro- the White the Rose. The White Rose City, yes. Okay. And okay. also where I somehow managed to get a degree in four years from York College of Pennsylvania. It's still under investigation, is that right? Oh, it's, it's still under review, absolutely. Nate, tell us about the uh, smell from the uh, paper plant in York, Pennsylvania. Is that, not, is that not the worst thing about that city? Yeah, I mean, it's funny. Everybody says that. My, my family actually when I was growing up, didn't live too far from there. And then I, I transferred high school, so I got away from it. And then when I would go back, I definitely smell it now. But growing <laughs> up, everybody that visit would ask about it. I'd be like, I don't know what you're talking about. There's like a big paper mill, Brian, in a yep. town just west of York. What, what's the town? Um, Spring Grove. Spring Grove. And the, the smell from this paper mill is just horrific. <laughs> it's one of those smells that you really, or at least for me, I've never really gotten over. There's one in Eastover, South Carolina, just – I don't know, 30, 45 minutes away from Sumter where I grew up. And depending on the wind, you could smell the, the, the paper mill. And there's one in Georgetown near the coast of South Carolina, of course. And so it's, it's one of those just very brutal, interesting smells. <laughs> See, we're, we go all places on the shows. We're now talking about smells of paper mills. That's right. <laughs> well, Coach, why don't you take us uh, through your resume, through uh, what got you from the White Rose City all the way to uh, – the College of William and Mary now. Take us through your resume. So I, f- I finished playing in 2014 um, at Millersville University, which is a uh, Division II school in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Um, took a real job for a hot minute, like two months, and then uh, took a volunteer coaching job at York College of Pennsylvania. was a volunteer for about a month or so, and then uh, I got bumped up to the top assistant to make about $8,000, and I uh, moved back into my dad's basement. Um, so I was there for a year. I was working for Hoop Group at the time as well, helping to run with tournaments and camps. Um, was was blessed to make a lot of connections, and uh, by the next August, I, I was at High Point University as the director of player development, was there for three years, um, and then we got let go as a staff. And then I went to St. Vincent College outside of Pittsburgh. I was the uh, associate head coach there for about nine, ten months. And then uh, the job at William Mary opened up. And uh, Coach Dane Fisher, who I've known for six years now, got the job. And I came here with him as the uh, director of operations. 
So I am super curious. You took a real job for two months. What was the, what, what was the quote unquote real job? Um, so I majored in psychology uh, with a minor in criminal justice and I interned at a juvenile, um, it wasn't a detention center, it was a juvenile like program because in the state of Pennsylvania, you got to, to get back out into the world, you have to go through like a rehab program. Um, and the state had just changed the laws that you have to have a uh, person running it that is not the director. So basically a supervisor and you either had to have a four year degree with two years of experience or a two year degree with four years of experience. And I was lucky that I had just finished two years of interning there and graduated and nobody else fit the bill. So they gave me this job that was making pretty good money. I, you know, I got a place to live and everything. And then uh, Coach Hunter at York College was like, well, if you're going to take my full-time job, you're not going to be able to afford your house. So you probably should move back in with your parents. So I moved back to my dad's and I did that from basically when I graduated in May till uh, probably August. So like the summer I was kind of doing both. I would work third shift at the juvenile detention center and then I would drive into York and do some office stuff to learn what I was supposed to do, go home and sleep, go watch a summer league game that night to recruit and then go back into the night shift. So uh, it was not a fun summer after I graduated. Well, you're, you are not the first one on, on this show here to talk about taking a job and then just quickly realizing, wait a minute, this is not what I really want to do. So can you talk about that? Just that switch? I mean, you, you, you talk about how difficult it is and I totally understand that we've, we've heard from guys that are were sleeping in cars just to make it work, you know? So what was it about getting in there for two months and just realizing, nope, this is not what I want to do at all. And just lighting that fire to be able to coach basketball and do what you really love to do. Yeah. So I don't think I really knew I wanted to coach until my senior year. Um, you know, everybody goes to college and thinks they're gonna be professional basketball players. Um, doesn't matter what level of college you play at. Like I've coached at all the levels now and you know, our best division three players would tell me the same thing. Like I'm a pro, like, all right, sure you are. But you know, that was my thought was uh, I wanted to try to make it overseas even for a year for an experience. And that just wasn't in the cards for me. It just, I mean, I wasn't good enough. <laughs> um, and to be honest, the guy I played for had been at Millersville for 20, 25 years, 20 years maybe. And like, he wasn't one of these guys that was a connector looking to move around and stuff. So I went to him and was like, Hey, I want to, I thought the path I needed to go was a, a GA. And uh, he was like, yeah, I don't, don't really know what to tell you. Just send out emails. Somebody will help you out. So I literally emailed like every coach that recruited me, um, every college that was around there, Franklin and Marshall, you know, E-Town, all these small division three schools nobody had anything. Um, so I, I didn't know what else to do. So I got a real job. <laughs> um, and I got lucky that, um, one of the, one of the better guys that was a couple of years older than me that played in York County, he played at Delone Catholic. He was an all American at York college and, uh, coach Hunter, who's the head coach at York, they went through a coaching change. He was the new head coach. Um, and Nick Brady, the guy I knew was just kind of telling him like, Hey, I got a friend that wants to get into coaching. And he was like, oh, I, I recruited Nate. So he had reached out and said, come into the office. Like, I can at least try to, like, teach you some things, get your, you know, your feet under you. Like, see if this is something you really like. And the entire thing, he was like, don't quit your real job yet. Like, <laughs> coaching sucks. Like, I want you to see what's going on before you get into it. And, I mean, after, like, the first month, like, I, I just kind of was like, this is what I want to do. And I got lucky that 
the guy that was in front of me, uh, he got a full-time division three job, went to Scranton, which is a phenomenal division three job. So, um, it was open. So he was like, you've been here, like, you know, I'll give you $8,000. Like, that's all I can give you. But you know, you're my full-time guy. Like, if you're going to do this, you got to be all in and you got to know how it is from showing up in the morning, going through all day, going to recruit and doing all that type of stuff. Um, which it was awesome. I'm glad I did it, but it was, uh, it was a little rocky to get there. Talk about, uh, you gave a little bit there, but talk about some specific things you maybe learned from some specific mentors. Um, you talked about Coach Hunter there, and then obviously at High Point you worked for Coach Cherry, who I had the pleasure of working with for a couple months at South Carolina and some good people there. Just talking about some specific things you've learned from those mentors and what they've meant to you. Yeah. Um, well, I can say one thing, like, I'm, I'm so happy that I started at the Division Three level. Um, and a lot of people – you know, in my interview process with Coach Cherry, that's what we talked about. He's like, I've never been anywhere lower than Division One. Like, everybody just tells me how hard it is. And we started talking about it and was like, the good thing with Division Three was I got to wear every hat. Um, and like, Coach Hunter had just taken over. And York um, has had years where they've been in the Final Four for Division Three. They've been in the Elite Eights. They, they were really good. Um, an older guy was getting phased out. A new guy, Coach Hunter, was coming in. So when I got there, he was like, I just need you to recruit. And, and that's it. And I was like, well, how do you do that? He was like, I don't know. Just go do it. Here's a rental car. We have a three-hour footprint. So you'll go to Jersey. You, you know, if you can touch New York within three hours, anywhere that you can drive up to watch a game and back in the same night without falling asleep in your car. Um, so I was down in Maryland, the DMV, Pennsylvania. Um, and I, I didn't know what I was doing. But, like, that was looking back on it now is the beautiful thing with it was just, like, you were thrown into the fire and and – <laughs> figure it out. Um, so, you know, without knowing what I was doing, you know, help coach get a really good recruiting class in, never got to coach those guys. Um, you know, but coach has been to the NCAA tournament now at York college the last four or five years, they've won two or three games in the NCAA tournament in those years already. So like, he's got it figured out. Um, you know, the assistant that replaced me there has done a phenomenal job. And then, you know, at, at high point, it was, uh, you know, Division one operates so much differently. And Coach Cherry was a phenomenal, phenomenal X's and O's teacher and just a great offensive mind. And as a player development guy, I didn't have any operational duties. It was all basketball. So it was just like watching game film after game film of either your opponents or studying teams that, you know, we wanted to put something in offensively. And then like coach was so great with, I would take something to him or, take something to the assistants like this is what the other team is going to do and he was just such such a good offensive mind that you could just figure it out um but he taught me so much with that so so then we get let go and when I was at St. Vincent the guy I worked for DP Harris had been there for 16 17 years and they used to be NAI they went to the sweet 16 NAI and then you know, they, they transitioned to division three and he was winning 20 games every year. And the year before I got there, they won, I think 14 or 15 games. And he was like, look, I've been doing this for so long. I want, I want something fresh, new offense, new this, new that. So he was like, I'm also the assistant athletic director. So I'm going to hire you as the associate head coach. He said, everything you're saying you learned from coach Cherry, we'll see if you actually learned it because I'm going to let you, you're in charge of the offense. You're going to build your own offense from the ground up. Um, so what I didn't realize was Division Three only have two weeks of preseason. Division One, we had all summer to to integrate how we wanted to put our offense in and do all that. So that was a 
Coach Cherry got several calls with me kind of freaking out, like, Coach, I don't think I can do this. I don't know what's going on. Um, it all worked out. You know, I, we, we, we were very, very successful that year. Um, I think we were 22-5, and five, um, won a lot of games. Um, but I got to play in practices and run my own practices because as Division three, the guy I worked for was also the head fundraiser for the athletic department. So there would be times he'd have to fly and leave, and it was just me running it. So I got a lot of head coaching experience, which was – without having to be the head coach was, was pretty cool. Um, and then when this job opened up, I've, I've known coach Fisher for a while. You know, he was one of the guys that I, I, I did talk to a good bit when we got let go of high point. Um, just a, a really good dude. I met him when he was at Bucknell and I was at York going up there to recruit their elite camps. Um, just a guy I have, you know, the most respect for, and he does stuff the right way. Um, so when this kind of opened, I was super excited to be able to talk to him about it and, and then get down here. It was a no brainer move for me that journey that I mean, all of our guests are special and every, every journey is special, but that one is super special because of like, you're talking about playing at the division two level, getting your feet wet early at division three, going up to division one, now back at division three and being able to have all of that responsibility to, like you just said, to run practices and get, get your feet wet doing all those aspects of, of coaching and, and involved in a program like that. I'm super fascinated by that. And I tell you, I've, I've known you for a couple of years, met you at the final four with, with our good friend, Brett, Brett Carey, a former podcast member of, of this show here. And so I've known a little bit about your journey, but I would love to hear you tell us and, and, and our listeners about that. I don't want to say that struggle, but I'm, <laughs> I'm also fascinated. I'm, I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself that where you said that um, <laughs> the, the gentleman that told you that coaching sucks and you went in there and got to see what coaching is all about. And you're like, yes, I really want to do that. <laughs> so how hard it is to find guys, I don't say how hard it is to find guys that want to do that, but to be able to get into the business, start working your way up, then boom, now you're out of the business. You get let go at high point, And now that process is of getting back into it. So I'd love to, I'm all over the place here with this question here, Nate. So I apologize I'm, for that. Wow. The longest <laughs> but, question ever. <laughs> but uh, I haven't talked to anybody all day, so I'm happy to talk to you guys. <laughs> no, um, but just really helping us understand and our listener base understand like how hard it is to get into the business, get out and then getting back into it. That whole process is, is super fascinating. Right. Um, I'll see if I can follow all that, get all that answer. <laughs> but I'll say that, you know, the thing coach Hunter always wanted me to, to really keep in mind was like, this is one of the professions that like everybody wants to get into coaching everybody and some people for the right reasons, some people for the wrong reasons. And I think his biggest thing was like, I don't want you to be a former player that doesn't know what they want to do. And just, oh, I'm going to coach. Um, so I don't know. I, the grind of it, kind of the chase, like the thing I fell in love with was recruiting. Um, and the thing I fell in love with that I didn't realize was so many coaches think if their high school player was not good enough for division one or division two, he automatically was good enough to play for, for your college. Cause they won five games the year before that. And then I was calling a bunch of kids that were getting recruited by leagues that like I played in and you, I had to learn how to navigate that. Cause I can't be on the phone to tell the kid like, well, I just got them played at that league. You can't play that league. <laughs> but then I couldn't tell high school coaches either. Like just cause you're like, this isn't gym class. Like just cause he's, He's not good enough for the higher levels. Like division three basketball is like if, if where coach wanted to build that to, like that's elite basketball. Like if you go and watch a division three, sweet 16, like those kids are so talented. And that's what we were shooting for. Like that's where York college was at. 
so I just fell in love with like, I didn't know how to coach. I didn't know how to do any of that stuff, but I was young and I could make relationships. And like, I didn't know AAU coaches. I didn't know high school coaches. And I just fell in love with like at four o'clock every day, I would start calling high school coaches, AAU coaches and players. And we mass recruited at that level. So coach made me have 125 kids in our front rush database. And I would call 20 kids a night. And if they, you know, didn't respond or basically tell me to, you know, go somewhere else, we'd cross them off, add another kid to the list. And I would just work that list all week long. And, you know, it, I didn't know what I was doing. It worked out, but like, I just, I fell in love with that chase of like the recruiting and like, I love building relationships. I love being able to talk to people from all walks of life and like hear their stories. And I mean, I can just, I can do that all day long. Um, so that's the, the piece I initially fell in love with. Um, and that kind of went back to like, what coach Hunter wanted me to realize was like, you're working 60, 70 hours a week but you're making like $150 a week. Like if, if you wanted to do the math out. So like if you're in this to get rich, you're in the wrong profession. Um, and the thing with coach was he allowed me to go work for Hoop Hoop. So then all of a sudden I started meeting all these high school coaches and all these AAU coaches. But what I didn't realize is it was helping me in my professional career as well. Because when these division one guys would come in the live period to recruit these kids, I, was, I had these kids on my team that I was coaching them. Now, all of a sudden, I'm getting texts from guys, hey, you know, tell them Bucknell says what's up, you know? So, like, I'm the middle guy. But now, I'm, you know, I'm helping to, to run these things. And, and now I know, I, like, the one thing Coach Hunter told me to do is know every single kid, have a list for Division One, have a list for Division Two, have a list for Division Three, And, like, I just kind of fell in love with that, like – I made all my calls, but during the day it was just like watching film. Okay. He's too good for me. Where's he fall? I don't, you know, so that's kind of how, like, I really, really grew passionate with that. Um, so then fast forward when we get fired, you know, I, I was very, very naive. I was young. I was super young. I was 25 when we got fired. So it was like the peak of like, I think I'm on the fast track. You know, I, I was a division three guy for nine months. I get a division one job. I'm working for a guy that played for Dean Smith. Like what, what more could I want at the time? I'm, I'm in, you know, Carolina basketball in the state of North Carolina. Like, mm. come on. Um, and it was awesome. My experience there was phenomenal. But what I didn't realize was how much my relationships took a hit when I was off the road. So I still had the guys I talked to, but my relationships didn't grow. Um, and I, I found out real fast what relationships were real and which ones weren't. Um, and I made those phone calls when we got let go, like, Hey, I, you got a video job open. You got an ops job open. And I wasn't getting phone calls back. And then the same coaching staffs, so I was getting calls like, Hey, one of your players is transferring. Does he want to come here? And I kind of realized like the guys that were in this, that like cared about you or the guys that were in this, like, I'm going to, this is my career and I'm, I'm trying to make it to the top first, you know, that type of thing. Um, so that was really hard. Like, I didn't get hired at St. Vincent until the end of August and we got fired mid March. Um, so I traveled all over the East coast to tournaments, to camps, like just trying to reconnect with people that like, I probably didn't do the best job of staying in touch with when I was off the road. Um, like meaning guys that can have the power to help me, not other young assistants that are trying to make it too. like, 
it's cool you know them, but they're not helping you get a job. Um, so like I had I had a ton of phone interviews. You know, I, I had one uh, Division One on campus interview, and that was that, and it was like fifteen thousand dollars, no insurance, no nothing, and I just went from like making decent money at High Point and full time, you know, benefits, all of that. Um, so when this division three job was, it was offered to me, it was full time. It was good money. Um, not that that's what obviously this is about right now, but when you go from being able to live on your own, then to, to not, um, you know, I talked to coach Cherry and he was like, don't take the division one job just to say you took another division one job, go take this associate head coaching job where you're going to, you're going to run your own program within the confines of what this guy has set up already. And you're going to get to run your own offense. He was like, decisions you didn't like that I made offensively, like you get to, you know, you get to make those decisions now. Um, so I, I leaned on him a lot for that. Um, but really, it was talking to Coach Cherry. It was talking to like Eric Gabriel and our staff and Ahmad Dorsett. But those two had just been both fired with me as well. So like as much as they were trying to do everything they could to help me out, they had their own problems to worry about. Like they're married with kids. Like they, <laughs> I was single. I didn't have kids. You know, I packed up my apartment. It was in storage and I was back to my dad's basement. Um, so I, I did get lucky in that sense. But, um, and then obviously Coach Hunter from your college, like he would let me call him at all hours and bounce ideas off of it. And I'm sure he, he, he took a couple of phone calls he never wanted to take from me. Like, you know, I didn't know if I was going to stay in it. I was offered a banking job for $85,000 and I knew nothing about banking, but it was like, I'm looking at the division three job or sorry, the division one job off the road for 15 to $18,000. Where do you go take an $85,000 job? And maybe I'll coach high school on the side or something. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm glad I stayed with it. Cause at that point, the division three job, St. Vincent wasn't on the table and I was really struggling to get my feet under me. And I didn't know what I was going to do. Like I was starting to look at avenues. Like, can I try to volunteer somewhere? Am I going to end up back at York college? Um, like nothing was off the table at that point. Um, so that's kind of, you know, how, how it all went down there without, you know, getting into all the stuff of why, you know, how the firing went down. But, um, I was very naive in thinking I, I had made it and I had, you know, I was at the division one level. Um, and it, it really humbled me that it's, there's a lot of good basketball outside of division one. Um, and I've worked at two phenomenal division three schools that, were really, really talented. You know, I was got to coach two All-Americans while well, I recruited an All-American at York. He's phenomenal. Um, he could probably play at a bunch of Division twos. And then a kid I coached at St. Vincent was an All-League player that transferred from a Division II. Um, so, you know, it's that, that's that been a blessing when at the time it was not. Nate, I appreciate your transparency with that answer. And I know – I've never been through it, but I've lived vicariously through guys like you and some other friends that have gone through that letting go process or trying to get another job process. And it's going back to episode, I believe it's 32 with, um, excuse me, 34, Rick Duckett, who's now at Charleston Southern University, been around the game for a long, long time. And Chris and I both got to work with him at USC, respect him greatly. But one of his first answers to one of our questions was that he mistakenly believed that everybody that he came into contact with all cared about kids the same and all were going to be loyal to him. And he quickly figured out that's not the case that, you know, you want that to be the case in college basketball and any, in any industry, but that's not always the case. And so it's interesting to hear you say that. And that's one, one of the things I wanted to highlight in your answer to, to all of our listeners is that, 
make sure you're getting into it because you, a, you care about kids and be good to those around you. Like, like you are Nate and realize that everybody is not going to be in that same boat with you. I've talked to guys over the years that they get out of the business or they get let go and they start to try to call the guys that even they used to work with. They're like, they're like, they, they're acting like they don't even know me, <laughs> you know? And it's just, it's so, it's so interesting, such a, an interesting dynamic to co- that side of college basketball that is often not talked about. So again, I, I appreciate your transparency with that answer. Um, coach, I have no idea what my question is anymore because Brian just talked. <laughs> I've had a lot of caffeine today. I apologize. <laughs> uh, you, you talked about working at the Division three level. Just one more quick question. We, we had a Division three head coach on from Ramapo College, guy Chuck McBreen, who I know really well. We also had his, his associate head coach, Pat Gabriel, who Pat was a high school coach, then coached Division three, went back to high school, back to Division three. Chuck was a high school coach, then went to Division – then worked his way up to Division one and then went back down to Division three and has now been the head coach at, at Ramapo for 20 years. Um, do you think you found what level you work best at? Because they both talked about they've had various experiences and they found their niche at the Division three level. Or do you think it's something you might still be searching for? Um, that's a good question. I'm not, I'm not like pigeonholed to any level. Um, Right now, I don't like long term, I want to be a head coach and and everybody will sit here and tell you that. Um, I feel like I look at it in a more realistic approach where like I put like St. Vincent, the guy I worked for left and there was a chance maybe can you get the head job? And like, I didn't even try left. Like I wasn't ready for it and I didn't want to take a job yet because I didn't know what I wanted to do. And I, I, I didn't want to take a head coaching job at 26 years old and fail. And I, maybe that's a little negative. I don't know, but I, I know I want to be at the division one level right now. Um, maybe when I'm married, like the thing everybody tells me is like when you're married with kids, like the division three level, those guys work their tails off too, but it's not as much as the rat race as division one is. Um, and that's what a lot of people tell me is like, once they get families and settle down, like they're still coaching college basketball. They want to stay at the division three level. It's not as political. Um, it's not all those type of things. Um, Right now, like I'm happy here at Division One. Um, this is where I want to be for the time being. Will that change when maybe I get the head coaching itch and it's not in the cards right now for me to get a Division One head job? Um, you know, five years from now, can I get a Division Three job? Can I get a Division Two head job? And do if I get that itch, does that make me want to go back to you know Division Three, Division Two level? Um, and like, it's not like those jobs are easy to get any either. Um, so to answer your question, I'm not married to one level. Um, I am, I'm a lot more concerned in taking a good job and working for a good person. Um, and not, and I, I've, I've been lucky and worked for a good person or for a good coach, I should say, um, for the four stops I've been at. Um, but after going through being fired, how hard it was if you're working for somebody that doesn't care about you and is not loyal, like every head coach wants you to be loyal to them. But when it gets push comes to shove, like, are they going to be there for you? Um, like to me, I think that's so much more important is like, that's what I would look for is working for a good person and working for a job that is a good job. Wow. We could, we could keep talking about this stuff for, for hours, Nate. That's uh, there's so much, um, Nate, don't get married and have kids. Just don't. Do that. <laughs> Who needs that? Hey, if the quarantine keeps going on, I think I will have that issue. 
with that uh, segue, Chris, thanks for that. Uh, let's go ahead and uh, let's get to the, the the next portion of our show, which of course is the greatest game. So of course the name of the podcast is the greatest game. So Nate would love to hear about your greatest game. Take us into the arena, into the gym. As my buddy Chris de Blasio says, like, let us smell it. Let's, let's feel the sweat coming off the coaches. Let's just, let's just, let's hear all about your greatest game. Um, so it would definitely be my time at high point. I would say our biggest rival, well, one of them, um, was Winthrop and Pat Kelsey does a tremendous job there. And, um, it was, our team was, was coaches first basically recruiting class that were all seniors and it was the winningest class in school history. Um, probably had the best player to ever play in the big South, uh, John Brown. So we were playing, it was his senior night at home versus Winthrop, I believe, February, end of February, 25th, maybe. Um, it was the ESPN game, and it got changed from a 7 p.m. to a 9 p.m. game. And um, I remember showing up at the, the arena, and, and for people that have never been at High Point, they're about to open a new arena, but the arena that we coach in, they played in this year, is uh, there's some high schools bigger than that. It seats about 1,800. Um, and you're right on top of the court. It's hot, sweaty. Like it's, it's an atmosphere you love playing in. People hated coming to play there. Um, but probably showed up around five 30 and two, the two parking lots were blocked off. People were tailgating. There was a student line the whole way around, uh, Millis, the Millis center. Um, and as soon as doors opened at 8 PM, I think both end zones of students were filled within the first 15 minutes. Um, and they were just going bonkers from the time they walked in. Um, and Winthrop was out there shooting and it was just, you could tell it was going to be a fun atmosphere. And obviously like everybody had so much love for our seniors and John Brown and what they've done for the program. And, you know, Winthrop at the time, you know, they had Keon Johnson who he was the, he was the next best player behind John Brown and he was probably the best guard. And you look at him, he's five, eight, five, nine, and the dude could go. Um, and then they had the guy, Xavier cooks, who was a little bit younger at that time. He was a sophomore, but he ended up being a first team big South guy. And then they had the D two transfer, um, Jimmy Gavin, who was electric. Um, so those three guys together, we had three seniors like that. We had the kid Lorenzo Cagini, uh, that played at LeBron James High School in Ohio. We had the guard, Adam Weary, from Memphis, Tennessee, who was a first-teamer. He's now a GA for Shaka Smart at Texas. Um, but John Brown, at the tip of that game, you know, we went through the senior ceremonies, and the place is just going bonkers. And uh, John Brown had 19 points in the first 12 minutes in the first half off 9 and 11 shooting like I'm talking about getting rebounds and pulling up for three and this kid is a center and he's just going bonkers he pulls up for three and he lands on somebody's foot and breaks his foot oh. with like four minutes to go in the first half he has 19 at this point and 445 to go in the first half okay and he so <laughs> the best the best performance hand like he couldn't miss like was flying around. If you've ever seen John Brown play, like what made that kid special was like, he is super talented and skilled, but his motor, like he just never stopped. And he's flying around blocking shots, stealing everything, like probably shooting some very questionable shots. But at that time <laughs> it's nine for 11, like everything's going in. We got it rolling. 
breaks his foot. Um, so like that was, you know, that was a gut punch going to the locker room. And what, what kind of makes this so unique to me is we had a kid on our team, Miles Bowman, who has one of the, the, the craziest stories in college basketball ever. Like went to Dell state, got hurt, transferred to a junior college. He's a Winston Salem kid came to us, tore his ACL again, red shirted, didn't start playing games until that second semester that year was playing two minutes, three minutes. Cause he's, he's backing up John Brown. So John goes down. And I think miles ends up with like, he ends up with a double, double 12 and 11, 13 and 11, something like that. So anyway, we end up winning 87, 85 and it was just back and forth, back and forth. And, and they probably outplayed us the second half. Um, I remember it was a baseline out. We're up 87, 85 and we know like Keon Johnson, like you give that guy any space, like it's a wrap. It's going in. And I don't, I don't remember exactly what they ran, but he called it in front of Winthrop's bench, falling out of bounds, put up a prayer, and it hits the back of the rim and bounces up, and it's over. And we win. And it was one of, like, just the ups and downs of that game and, like, guys stepping up. And, and I talked about the kid Adam Weary, and, you know, he had 25 in that game. And just he, he willed us to win, but, like, you know, all of our seniors, Lorenzo Cugini, then the kid, Hashim McIntyre, who's actually a Pennsylvania kid from Harrisburg, was our starting point guard. Um, all of those guys were just rocks that game. You know, after John was out with the injury from going bonkers, like, now you, you had a fist fight. Um, so that ended up putting us in a three-way tie as well for first, and we, we got to go to PC the next game. Um, so we held all the tiebreakers, too. As long as we won that game, we were going to be the number one seed. Um, so that I think by far has to be from a coaching aspect, one of the craziest games I've ever been a part of. And just like the atmosphere, like being on ESPN, like those guys didn't get that a lot. Um, so just putting the, the conference and, and a lot of people never heard of the big South and like back, I mean, that, that league, when you had coastal Carolina before they left and Liberty and, and when coach McDevitt and Brett were at UNC Asheville and Radford, and then you had High Point, Winthrop, Charleston Southern the year before that was co-champs. Like, that league was a bear. Um, it was, you know, six, seven teams every year. Um, so that was definitely, you know, one of the, the more fun games to coach in. And, and those, those games, six, seven teams, really fighting for one NCAA spot. Absolutely. You know, so you want to get that one seed in that conference tournament to, so you can win the conference tournament and get the bid. So – uh, John Brown goes down. We said 4.45 to go in the first half. Uh, they take him off the court. Do you find out at halftime that he's done? Does Coach Cherry say anything? Like what? You know, sometimes coaches don't even mention it. He's not here. Don't worry about it. What was, what was said about that or done about that? So the way the arena set up, we had a uh, – when you walk out the back by our locker room, there was – back behind the curtains there was the training table and he was sitting back there um they were trying to look at it put pressure on it can he come back um if I'm not mistaken at one point he tried to come out to the bench in the second half and it was like can't do it then they took him to the training room um I don't I truthfully don't remember um if we told the guys like it's a done deal because part of me this part's a little fuzzy, but I feel like he wanted to really try to come back. And we, that's why we didn't address it. And we may have just said like, guys, it's next man up. We don't know where this is going to go. 
Um, and John was a super tough kid. So when he landed and came up right away, he came right to the bench was like, I need out now. And we were like, that's, that doesn't happen. So we knew it was very serious, but actually I think now that I'm thinking about it, he like tried to start riding on the bike and thought that was going to get him back in. And then finally, I think there was a timeout and on crutches, the training room was on the whole other side of the arena. So at a timeout, he had to walk through the arena. And by that point, everybody saw him on crutches and it was done. Talk about the, the quality of basketball in the Big South. And you're right. Again, you're talking about Nick and Brett at UNC Asheville. And that that year to be able to take that W, force the three-way tie, know that you guys were uh, going to be taking that tiebreaker there. And just like Chris said, you're all fighting it out for for one one tournament spot to get in the NCAA, uh, we're we're at, I'm, I'm trying to set up this a little bit. We're we're going to post a link to the final shot, Keon Johnson's final shot, to show fans that are listening to this that maybe hearing us from around the country, like Big South basketball. What? Who cares about Big South basketball? The atmosphere in that gym in that arena is unbelievable, and for it to be on ESPN is incredible. But can, can you say more about the level of basketball that was being played and still is being played in the Big South? And now you just, it's just, it's incredible. Well, before we start with that, we had to bring in platforms to put in every corner of the arena for people to stand on. They could see. Um, So it was, it was bonkers, but um, man, the level of basketball in that league, you know, and, and Radford and Winthrop still have that thing rolling and, and, you know, Mike Jones and, and, you know, Pat Kelsey have done phenomenal, phenomenal jobs there, but man, like, that, that is really good basketball. And a lot of times, you know, the grad transfer thing a little bit now is, you know, some of those guys are getting plucked. Um, and we were luck, lucky that John Brown couldn't graduate. He was a couple classes short because he was a fifth-year guy. Um, so, thankfully, that, that never came into play. But the level basketball there was, was incredible. Like, you know, Keon Johnson, I don't know what his recruiting was like, but I can talk to, like, the guys at Asheville, like Maceo Teague and Ahmad Thomas, like those guys like had nothing. And like coach McDevitt did such a good job of finding like, you know, just finding kids that they could, you know, develop. And I think it just talks, that goes to show you with coaching in that league and development. Like if a guy is as good as Keon Johnson was as a senior, you're not getting him in the big South, but to be able to take a kid like that and then, have I mean he's a high major player by the time he leaves there like mm-hmm. John Brown is six eight athletic is all get out like by his senior year like you know it just it goes to show like how good of coaching it is and like those guys you know we we had guys then Andre Fox Jihad Proctor like Jihad tra- grad transferred and we got like go to go to Purdue um, Andre Fox went to South Alabama and had a heck of a year like I think it just goes to show you that you know, if you're a really good basketball player, you're going to get found. Um, and I think kids kind of overlook, like, you know, schools maybe they never heard of at the lower levels of Division One. Like, it's still really good basketball. Um, like, I know, I mean, Gardner-Webb two years ago when they went to the SWA tournament, like, before I got in the Big South, I, n- I had never heard of Gardner-Webb. And those teams, what, what Coach Kraft's done, like, they're always hard-nosed and they play super hard. And, like, to go to the NCAA tournament, like, that's phenomenal. Um, so I, I just think the coaching was really, really good in that league and still is. Coach, to get back to the game, I've been looking at this article and looking at the uh, 
the box score. I still really – looking at the box score, I don't know how you guys won the game, but that's a whole nother. I mean, you guys were 2 of 13 from three-point range. Uh, they – I don't know. But reading the article, they they went on a 14-2 run to take the lead with about three minutes to go. Yep. Talk about what happened in that last three minutes. Like all of us – like you guys probably felt like you were hanging on now with, with Brown gone, and now they finally come back and take the lead. And like you said – under Pat Kelsey and even before that, Greg Marshall, they're the big dog in the conference. Absolutely. So to take that lead, a lot of times the other schools would go, up. Oh, here comes Winthrop. They took the lead. They, you know, but your guys fought back. Talk about that. No, I will say this. Um, our guys never looked at Winthrop as the top dogs. Like John Brown and those guys, like they're the winningest class of school history for a reason. Um, every win, like, our worst loss, I believe, that year is we went to Winthrop. We got stuck in traffic. We did a day trip, and they beat us by 20 on ESPN earlier in the year. So, like, our guys, they had a chip on their shoulder with that one. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it was just – it was a roller coaster. Like, I don't think the game would have been close if John Brown played the entire game. And then in the second half, you're exactly right. It was just like you, you, just, felt, you just felt it going away from you, like doing everything you can to hold on. And then Adam Weary just took over. Like, he had two big buckets down the stretch. Um, we had some very timely defensive stops. I just feel like the last three minutes, nobody could score. And you look at the final score of 87-85, it was a high-scoring up-and-down game. And then it almost felt like the last three minutes was just, like, defense all of a sudden. Um, so it was, it was a hard game to sit there on the sideline. It was a fun game to be a part of. But it was – when I talk, you talk about the ups and downs of a game, like that may have had the most ebbs and flows I've ever been a part of. Well, I, what I love about this podcast is that we get to talk to guys like you and inform people about games. Now, this one happened to be on ESPN. But there are great basketball games that happen all over the country at all times. You know, obviously when we especially talk about great college games, everyone looks back at, you know, the famed Duke-Kentucky game. Uh, because obviously the the forces that were in that game, but there are games like that all the time, all over the country at all levels. And I think that's what we all love about this sport is that those games can happen anywhere on any night in a junior college gym, in a high school gym, in a small college gym. And it's just so fun to hear about a game like this. If you've ever been at one of these games, you know, it's hot in the arena. Everybody's sweating. Right. You know, you, you got the pit stains under the suit jacket, you, you know, <laughs> Yeah, but, I mean, for, for people that don't know about John Brown, I mean, he was rookie of the year as a freshman, and he was on the first team Big South. He was a, a two-time player of the year, probably should have been three. His senior year, was he was defensive player of the year as well. He scored over 2,200 points, over 800 rebounds in his career. Like, this dude was, was incredible. And I think he was either honorable mention All-American or third-team uh, third All-American which, like, I don't think people realize how hard it is to get a kid from the Big South to be on that stage as an All-American. Right. Super hard. Um, so, like, this isn't a kid that we're talking about scored 1,200 points. Like, this kid was incredible. So, like, for him going bonkers like that, like, even for us sitting there, we know how good he is, and we're like, this dude's out of his mind tonight. Uh, all right, Coach, we're going to finish it with a final question here. We're going to change it up. We're going to do a different final question today. I'm going to take – uh, some liberties here. I'm taking Hoosiers out of the question. 
Because personally, I hate Hoosiers. That, okay, let's just end this podcast but, right now. But the question is, what is your favorite basketball movie? Easy. Coach Carter. Oh, that's, ooh, that's a good one. Okay. I didn't <laughs> see that one coming. You know, we're not far from Richmond, so got to yeah. The correct answer is Above the Rim with Tupac Shakur. But <laughs> that's a <laughs> Fair enough. I just uh, – uh, Nate, I tell you what, I might be looking for a new co-host here since he excluded Hoosiers. So, <laughs> we'll talk off the air, see if we can work something out. But why, why do you exclude Hoosiers? What Because it's it's not that – it's overrated. Wrong. It's fairly ahead. overrated because it's overrated. <laughs> and, I, you know, I, and especially in this world, I know we're all entitled to opinions. I just have a hard time when the opinions are wrong like that. I just I don't I don't understand. Well, opinions are like buttholes, Brian. We all have them, and they all. Just <laughs> remember that. Well, I, I'm, this is uh, this could be another bombshell here, Nate. I need you to sell me on Coach Carter. I have yet to watch Coach Carter in my lifetime. Can you believe that? So tell me about it. Why really? should I watch it this week? Yes, I'm about locking the gym. Yep. <laughs> um, so he just reminded me of some of the guys I've played for. He's a, he's a super tough nosed guy, um, you know, in your face, but, but he really cares for the kids. Um, you know, the, he, he talked about locking them out of the gym. They, they didn't do their academics and, you know, he had check-ins for all that type of stuff. And, um, you know, basically they, they've never won there and he got guys, you know, got them off the street and got them to do what they were supposed to do. And, buy into something bigger than themselves and they ended up, I don't know if they won the state that year or whatever they did, but you know, it was just, it, to me, it was awesome. And I could relate to it a lot. I like that. That's a, that's a great way to end a, a great show here, Nate, just a reminder of what we're all doing. It's all, it's all fun. We're all wanting to have great games and win and everything like that. But like you say, we're here to, to help kids and help them grow. And uh, yeah. just Nate, just can't thank you enough for, for coming on the show it's been it's been great to have you for the last 45 minutes so hear your stories but again just can't thank you enough for coming on the greatest games yeah i appreciate you guys for having me yeah well we will put a button on this one so for my co-host chris de blasio i am brian rosefield and thank you for listening to this episode of the greatest games